Well, sounds good. Take your sticking paws off me, you damn dirty ape! Stinking Paul's podcast. Good morning, Scott here. I'm saying good morning. This is very bizarre. It's a Sunday morning, which is when I usually record the Real Britannia podcast, but luckily my co-host from Real Britannia is with me, Stephen. Good morning. Morning, mate. Yes, it, I'm very, very tempted almost to say Real Britannia um, and, and the spiel that I normally do at the beginning of that. It's a stinking pause. It's been, well, been a while. Thankfully, uh, on this episode, we've got more than a hint of professionalism. Um, and I don't mean me. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I can always rely on you to do the lovely little segue. Yes, <laughs> we're joined by our dear friend Anthony. Hello, mate. Hello, mate. It's nice to be. It's a joy to be back in the in the club. Oh no! no that won't mean anything. To it anyone, it may no. do to listeners of some of the other podcasts I do. And we'll just put the. It'll sneak the ad in at the end of the thing. Yeah. Um, answers on a postcard <laughs> if you know what that is. Yeah. Well, it made it sound like I was pregnant as well. I got that badly wrong. That, Back the, in the club. The, the, the anyway. listener. The, well, the listener is now thinking, "What on earth are they going on about?" So. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, piece all those words together. And and just go back to something that has been put out round about March. That's all I will say. Um, yeah. Anyway, it's good to be back. It's good wonderful to, back. to have you. It, you just said off air last time was mutiny on the bounty. That seems like forever ago. Yeah, that was last summer. Yeah. And we now... didn't go out. It didn't go out last summer. No, we went out about November. We're now <laughs> we're actually on the day of the Oscars. We're at the end of March. Uh, so this probably won't go out till November this year. Um, <laughs> You guys, Oscars, let's just talk about them briefly before we go into the movie. Do they hold any sway with you? Do you really sort of pay any attention to them? No. Oh, no. I'll turn my phone off. Shit. Hang on. <laughs> oh, lucky there, error. There goes that hint of professionalism out the window. Yeah, I tell you. <laughs> it, yeah. it needs to do some, some kind of online class, doesn't it? Stop. <laughs> <laughs> what are we talking about? Um, no, I don't care about the Oscars. Um, no, and, and I don't think they're a, a necessarily a good barometer of, of what actually is. Oh God, no! A good, a good, a good film. I think. I think it's no, I, I, it's not a thing for me. No, I think they're um, a bit over, overblown and, and self-importance and um, self-congratulatory. Um, to be honest, and that's what I like uh, about them. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, no, I like them because so it when just... Michael Moore was getting booed up, going <laughs> with them, and someone I, tried to introduce something important into it. <laughs> I just, I just like the fact that it's just this hangover from like the twenty, you know, when it started in nineteen twenty-seven, and they're still doing it, and it just sort of reminds me and harkens back to that golden age of Hollywood, where you know it was the big night out of the year and all the glitz and the glam and all that lot. But for me, 
you know, it, it doesn't really matter who wins or whatever. I just like the fact that they're still doing the red carpet and they're still doing all those cheesy acceptance speeches. And, and sometimes you get a bit of drama. I mean, probably your favourite Oscar moment is when um, Brando refused the Oscar, Anthony, isn't it? And said, Oh, yeah, of course. Sashin yeah, Littlefeather. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and there's great things, you know, like when La La Land didn't win, but they opened the envelope and they had, you know, all those little things that just, and, and I'll be watching it live tonight. I'm, I'm, I'm specifically booked off tomorrow off of work to watch it and I'll do it every year. And then after I've watched it, I think, why the hell did I do that? But I'm a sucker for doing it every single time. So, I mean, this isn't going to have any sway at all, but any predictions or any anybody you'd like to see win? I mean, if it doesn't hold any, any weight with you guys, it really doesn't matter, does it? But... You know, <laughs> I also don't keep up with the latest films. Although I did just happen to randomly see the the Power of the Dog last week. Right, so that was quite good. Yeah, that's that the one good. where the clever money's on, isn't it? This year, I think, because it's won the BAFTA so, yeah. and all the other major sort of awards. Who would you like to see win? Is it about time Branagh won won, won an, an Oscar? I'd like to see Marlon Brando win again. Would you? I, I don't know how that. <laughs> don't know how that could happen. <laughs> no, I don't. Can you imagine it? These yeah. days of CGI, if they actually sort of brought him back as a CGI character or something, and then the CGI <laughs> character wins an Oscar. <laughs> and then refuses it. Yeah. And, then, and then sends in a CGI yeah. <laughs> Indian score to come and collect his Oscar. No, I just, I just don't have a clue. No. I'll go for Power of the Dog because it's the only one I've seen. Yeah. Stephen, any ideas, mate? Any, any thoughts uh, or favourites? No, I'm not. Uh, to be perfectly honest, uh, with, with my contemporary cinema going mm. um, experiences being extremely <laughs> limited. I think, you know, the film we're about to review is probably the, you know, the most contemporary I get with, with film watching. Um, wow. So I wouldn't I, I mean, I'm aware of a few names floating around, uh, you know, like you've said, Power of the Dog and stuff, but I wouldn't have a clue what was actually likely to get anywhere near the threshold. And to be perfectly honest, if I thought it was worthy of winning an Oscar, there was, that would be pretty much a uh, a nail in its coffin that it wouldn't, I would imagine. Around the time that the film we were reviewing today, mm, um, I used to live at the cinema, but um, no, I went to watch the Bond film. Yes. Because Scott told me it was really good. Because I'm uh, like James Bond, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's James Bond. It did what it said on the tin. Yeah, that's honest. it. Just... Um, no, I went, to the, I went to my local cinema, which I'd only been to a couple of times before. And uh, for the first time, you had to pre- you pre-ordered popcorn. Pre-ordered. Yeah, when you ordered your ticket in advance. Yeah. And I couldn't. And something went wrong with the website, so I couldn't order it in advance. So I just rocked up there. Mm. But all the popcorn, all the popcorn had been pre-ordered as well. So I was thinking, does that mean like they, all the people that booked a ticket, they've got to hold like a massive store of popcorn? Wow. Yeah, and then for the first time ever, they they didn't have any sweet popcorn. And you could imagine the, you could imagine the uproar, oh. and there were people people in the queue saying, "Has anyone got any sugar?" <laughs> yeah. I thought it's quite ironic they've got it brilliantly organised now. Yeah, you pre-order your popcorn, everything's beautifully controlled, and, and it's the first out. time they've ever run out of sweet popcorn in my oh. in my fifty-three year no no not that long <laughs> thirty years of going to the cinema. So there, there was rioting in the aisles basically because there was that. Oh yeah, yeah. I. Mean, I seen it at the Odeon. It's like, that, that... It's, just, it's like if the Joy Club had run out of Werther's Originals or something, you know. <laughs> it would be just a scandal. The nation would be crying, would be weeping. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've seen it at the, at the Odeon, my local Odeon. The popcorn's already popped. It's, it's in great big, like, bin bags, clear, like, sacks. And they basically just fill up the machine and warm it through. 
It's, mm. Yeah, the, that, those big glass machines don't actually make the popcorn. They just keep them warm. They're all in big sacks already pre-popped. Um, Shocker, the popcorn's it? not fresh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how much, is a, how much is a bucket of popcorn these days? As much as the ticket, I'm assuming now, isn't it? <laughs> I don't know, yeah. Extortionate. Oscars, I was, I was going to do this wild prediction um, a few months back because what I try and do is I do try and watch all the Oscar contenders before the big night and it's been fairly simple this year because most of them were streaming or have been available you know before mm. um, and do you know what I haven't watched one of them not a single one so we, we tell this story quite often Stephen do you remember the episode of Anywhere But Here, Our Dear Friends, Tom and Ant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you'll, you'll like this, Anthony. Our Dear Friends, sure. Tom and Ant, of the Anywhere But Here podcast. I would say this was about six or seven years ago, possibly longer. Yeah. Decided on the Sunday morning of the Oscars to do predictions of who they think would win, you know, all the big, the big ones. But they hadn't seen any of the movies, so they based their predictions solely on the trailers, right? Mm-hmm. I think they got quite a good hit rate, Stephen, didn't they, if I it remember was, right? It was, it was about 90%, right, yeah. <laughs> so they didn't actually have to see the movie. And they predicted the best picture, the best director, best actor, <laughs> based solely on a two-minute trailer. It was like, oh, that looks like it should win. You know, <laughs> so it just proves you don't have to, you know, to, to actually, you know, don't have to see these bloody movies. Um yeah, I mean, at one point I was going to predict before the power of the dog sort of blew up here that you know it's it's dead sort of cert to win. I was going to say it was going to be West Side Story, and the only reason being a bit like Scorsese, and it's it's going to be like you know Spielberg has only won once, which was Schindler's List in '92. He's he's taken a bold move by going out of his comfort zone and doing a musical. And a musical hasn't won since Chicago. It's it's one of those genres that doesn't win the Oscars that often, apart from in the 60s. Yeah, mm. like comedy as well. So. Yeah, yeah. And, and horror is another one. I think mm. Silence of the Lambs is the only, it's, it's classed as a horror for the sake of the awards, is the only horror movie to have won Best Picture. And I'm thinking, oh, yeah, it's going to be West Side Story. But then when I looked, I thought, mm, yeah, but Belfast is sort of like, you know, one of those Oscar favourites, the Oscar bait type movies. And, and the power of the dog is, is, you know, everybody's raving about. So we'll see. I'm going to say, I know you guys don't hold much sway with the Oscars, but, but I love it. I'll be, I'll be up tonight till three, four o'clock in the morning and regretting it three hours later when I wake up again. So, <laughs> <laughs> But enough of this. This movie, do we know if this won any Oscars? I know it won a fair few awards, didn't it? Yeah, I'm not sure what... Everybody, it was everybody, yeah. as such. everybody's but, um, tapping furiously on IMDb to find out. IMDb, what did it get? Did it win best foreign um, language movie? Let's have a look. Must have won that. It should have done. Let's find out what was in contention. Uh, it was nominated for lots of stuff at the Oscars, but didn't actually win. Anything. Yeah, won a couple of BAFTAs, That's, which you know, as good as shows. I would say. I think that's that is a, uh, an indictment of the Oscars then. Yeah, there we go. It won uh, <laughs> yeah. Best Screenplay, Best Pro- Production Design at the BAFTAs. It was nominated for five at the Oscars, but it, in total it's won something like 59 wins out of 74 nominations across the board. So I would have, I would have given it for cinematography myself. There we go. And that's where I think a lot of mm. it went, looking at this, a lot of it went to... 
the, the technical side of things, which is what we're, mm. we're going to sort of focus on, I'm going to assume. So let's play the trailer. Um, I'm not too sure if this trailer's in French. If it is, good luck, everybody. It's Emily. <laughs> we'll be back after this. Trailer. 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 Do you know what these people have in common? This is Amelie. With the discovery of a simple childhood treasure, she begins a quest to fix other people's lives. And perhaps her own as well. released in the UK 2001 directed by Jean-Pierre Jeunet starring Audrey Tattoo a lot of French people um, <laughs> Dominique Pinon is probably the most recognisable face out of the supporting cast the synopsis Emily is a fanciful comedy about a young woman who discreetly orchestrates the lives of the people around her creating a world exclusively of her own making Shot in over 80 Parisian locations, acclaimed director Jean-Pierre Jeunet of Delicatessen fame and the City of Lost Children invokes his incomparable visionary style to capture the exquisite charm and mystery of modern-day Paris through the eyes of a beautiful ingenue. That's a marvellous little summary there. It's a <laughs> <laughs> History of the movie, guys, for you. When did you see it first? How many times have you seen it? Anthony, we'll ask you first, mate. Uh, well, as I was saying earlier, I mean, used to, at least I live at the cinema around this time, so almost literally. I'm sure I saw it at the cinema, and then I literally hadn't seen it, hadn't seen it again until yesterday. Oh, okay. Yeah. Not one and then I watched, I watched it yesterday, and there was so much in it that I kind of immediately skimmed back through it again. So, yeah, yeah, good stuff. Brilliant. I loved it. Stephen, I know you've seen this a couple of times because we were going to review this <laughs> in the, the good old days of your original podcast nine years ago. Wasn't yeah. It? Oh, it was, yeah. Um, I saw this at the time at the cinema. I went to see it because I'd already seen Delicatessen and City of Lost Children. So I, I, I went in with a slightly different expectation of the film to what I actually got, but obviously was completely delighted by what I did get because it had, had the elements of his previous work, as you know. Mm. So, and since then, I think I've, I've watched it at least a dozen times, if not more mm. than that. It's a film that I I watch every year at least once. Wow. I think so. Um, considering that we've been over twenty years since it came out, which I'm still trying to get used to the idea of, because um, <laughs> it feels like it was like seven years ago when it first came out, rather than it being twenty one. Um, uh, so it... yes, I've I've seen it probably uh, more or less twenty times. Then I would imagine because I've watched it so many times. Presumably, you notice different things every time as well, right? Because there's so many Absolutely. little details. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right there. It's one of those films where there's so many bits in it, it's so finely crafted that the details that they, they pay attention to with the with the production, with things in the background as far as photos, with the gas to nuances of the performances, and obviously with my own appreciation of cinema actually evolving as well, I enjoy it 
more now than I think I did when I first watched it because I'm actually appreciating the way that they're utilising so many different things in this, which we'll get into when we go and talk talk through it. I think I, you know, I went in it only half appreciating what it was in the first place, even though I came out absolutely loving it. So yeah, return to it regularly and enjoy it more every time. I don't know many people that don't actually like this movie. Even people that are like, oh no, it's a foreign film, subtitles and all that malarkey. It's also the reputation it has for being such a great film. And obviously there are some people who are more inclined to be the contrarious that might be doubtful about these things and going with a, a mind thinking, well, you know, the masses think this is such a great film. I'm not one of the masses. I'm going to look at it with my own pair of eyes. And I know that previously uh, Charlie, who is uh, on other episodes of this podcast, yes. He, he hadn't seen it for such a long time and eventually we was persuaded to go and watch it and we were with bated breath thinking, <laughs> what's he going to come back with? Because he certainly um, has a way of expressing his opinions a lot of the time God, and, yes. and thankfully he came back adoring it, mm. which was yeah. a great relief um, that he didn't come back going, oh, you're all sentimental idiots watching, you know, this <laughs> this, this, this smoky rubbish and, yeah. and sugar, you know. So I, I think every now and again... A foreign language movie hits the right spot and captures the worldwide imagination, doesn't it? I think Crouching Tiger, a couple of years before this, I can think of as a notable sort of example of that. Mm. Um, you know, and, where. And J- mm. Jackie Chan's Police Story, yeah. <laughs> any, any Jackie Chan movie, in your opinion, Stephen, yeah. <laughs> Rhymer as well, a couple of years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just. Serbian, Serbian film. Serbian film again. Well, not necessarily captures the public imagination, but certainly comes to the the public's attention. It's rubbish, though. It's, yes. rubbish. <laughs> it's not even that shocking. It's it's just no, it's rubbish. Pretentious anyway. twaddle, Stephen. Is that what you're saying? It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's not. <laughs> well, this certainly isn't pretentious at all, is it? I read it a brief synopsis. Does someone want to just sort of flesh that out a little bit? Because it's just a wonderful little bit of whimsy, isn't it? This story. Yeah, you've got somebody who, main character, who is isolated from childhood in a way of of not having the same friendships and interaction with society as other people, and therefore sort of just does their own thing, just gently, quietly. Then, through circumstance, suddenly ends up doing a good deed, basically, for, for somebody that sort of bringing back mm. their past in the in the form of an old treasure trove of somebody that hid as a child. Mm. But it's surprising them and, and not just turning up at the door and handing it over. It's, uh, you know, done inventively. So it's kind of as described by the, the recipient as a, a guardian angel bringing back the, the past, um, which then means he reevaluates his life and his relationships with his own, like, grandchildren and stuff. And suddenly that, that turns around his life and it then spearheads her into a and springboards her into having more of these good deeds in order to to help other people in, including something that's a bit more vengeful on behalf of somebody who is uh, uh, wronged but not in a not in a nasty way but just in a way that's very much teasing and uh, annoying in in what they do but then it, it the ultimately it leads to being 
linked to a guy who loses his photograph album because he collects the torn up <laughs> photo strips from photo booths. Yeah. Uh, and he, she then gets drawn into his world a little bit with regards to his almost um, odyssey of trying to find um, who this mysterious person who keeps reappearing in the photo booth but along the way it is just showing the the enjoyment of of simple things in life and and about the beauty of of humanity in a way and not you know taking away that that cynicism um which is very easy to to feel in modern life yes it's whimsy but it's it's done in such a beautiful way and the characterization the odd characters throughout the whole thing nobody in this really is is what would be described as as, as in, you know, normal. In fact, um, <laughs> despite the fact that, despite the fact that they are, because everybody is weird. Um, most quirk. films don't yeah. show it in this yeah. way. Yeah, uh, that's so. the point it's making: is that they don't seem normal, but they are normal, as you said. Yeah. Saying we're yeah. all, we're all, we all have strange quirks that we mm. don't tell anyone about. Yeah. <laughs> Us three probably know each other's, but yeah. yeah, I mean, it's like it's like we've learned like a few Scott, things. It's like Scott not telling the people he works with for for nine years that he does podcasting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we we could have all been characters in this movie in one way or another, and yeah. and you just take one look at it. It's not necessarily just the script and the characters and the screenwriting. It's the whole look of this. This is a beautiful looking movie. The cinematography. It's got Junet's stamp all over this I mean if you guys I mean Stephen you've seen Delicatessen City Lost, Lost Children I'm wondering Anthony have you seen any of his other work I've just seen Delicatessen but it was a very long time ago I should probably revisit that great yeah. movie great movie possibly right, my favourite right. of all the stuff he's done which sort of got me into that era of like French filmmaking way back in the day 89 or something you know when Delicatessen came out and mm. I've only seen this about three times, four times at the most, I think, you know, at a guess. So when I watched it earlier this week, would have been the first time in, I've got to say, over ten years. And do you know what? I'd completely forgotten the supporting characters. I just, in my mind, I just thought this whole story revolved around Emily and just whatever she got up to. But the supporting characters were secondary, but they are so important to this because... You really do get invested in their little stories, don't you? It's, there's enough time dedicated to them that you can actually feel for them. They're not just brushed away and it's not just a passing character. You know, the grocery assistant and all these guys that it just builds up and builds up. The guy that's been painting that same painting for, was it 20 years? Mm. You know, Yeah, and, and the, the, you know, the, the failed writer in the bar... The, the whole stuff with the romances within the, the, the yeah. cafe bar, the way that, that it, it's, you know, the downstairs um, concierge, uh, the, the woman who, who basically looks after the building, who's um, her you know, lost love. Uh, there's so many elements to it that there's uh, the overlapping, and as you say, they bring them back, but they're also the, the interplay with each other and make the the people interesting characters that are okay they've got their own idiosyncrasies but they build upon that and and obviously although it's a cliche to be saying that we've obviously got the fact that the city um in the way he shoots Paris that is doing the whole third man thing of turning it into another character that we've Mm. got French Tourism Board should use this as an advert for the city itself apparently uh, Juno uh, he's 
had people complaining at him that in Montmartre, mm. the prices um, of flats and things went up because he <laughs> felt, you know, the people yeah, that, and the cafe, you know, is still, is actually there and it gets people coming in and, and what, you know, actually saying, well, where's the glass screen that she writes on? Because that was something that was just introduced for the, for the, movie, for the film. Yeah. It wasn't actually, and the, removed the uh, seating in outside the, the station because that was, iconic and they decided to remove it before it got stolen and <laughs> it, it has become a, a tourist attraction almost i think that i mean i've been to paris but i didn't know at the time whether to look for it or not but there was certainly um i've heard that the after this film was done for a time there was tourist guides taking people around the sort of scenes and the streets that were were used in the filming make of that what you will it's become a, a it's become a tourist attraction for for the city yeah, no, you can certainly see it. And as you said, it becomes the city itself becomes almost the character. It's it's just something that that you know does perfectly. It he does this filming style that is slightly. I'm trying to sort of find the way to describe it. Sort of slightly off kilter. It's not traditional. It's not con, you know what you. It's, think, well, it's it's the Wes Anderson type thing where it's kind of yeah. a, a quirk that's almost retro in it, but not. And I think yeah. that's the thread that I think I would put him in the same camp in that way of, of showing um, the, the circumstances. And certainly look at Wes Anderson's latest uh, film, which the, the name escapes me, it's, it's um, which actually is, is set in France. Yeah. That helps as well. But I think that part of this as well was the previous film that Juno had done to this was Alien 3, yes. which obviously was a big Hollywood thing. And, you know, I think he did well with that, despite the fact that other people maybe don't. But... Mm. This, this, I think, was him returning to his, his French roots and really showing that his love for France and Frenchness, and that's why I think it is so, so French, I think, in a lot of ways, but obviously in a way that's accessible for people outside of France. I've, you know, I've seen the, what he did after this as well, some of the films, good, but they don't, they don't have the peak that this is this is that with regards to bringing together all the elements that he's had in his, his career, I wouldn't say. I mean, I've not seen the, the last few films he's done, but no. certainly the film he did after this, uh, Very Long Engagement, which is Audrey Todd, is in that as well. That's more of a um, historical drama, isn't it? It's set during it, is it the is, First World yeah, War. It is, set in the First World yeah. War, yeah. But this is the pinnacle, that with the, you know, making sure that the Frenchness, particularly, I suppose, in some ways, that is getting the right balance between how the French see themselves and also how foreigners see the french i think yeah. it gets it strikes exactly the right balance on that how was this for you anthony going back to it after x amount of years now oh it's fantastic i mean the only thing i really remembered i remembered that she sort of went around i think i remembered it was in paris yeah she went around paris like doing small things for people yeah and uh actually uh do, do you remember the, there was a group called random acts of kindness yes mm. you heard of that yeah i was actually <laughs> i was actually in one of those groups in london mm. It was really good fun. We just literally went around helping people, like carrying bags and occasionally running off with them. But generally, <laughs> now what's funny is that is the look on people's faces when you when you try to do something randomly kind. They, they immediately go, oh, "What are you after?" Especially in this but, country. Well, in, yeah. in London, you can't even smile at somebody on the tube without them thinking no. you're a weirdo. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I think that actually, I think that camera technique you're talking about that goes back to European very broadly European cinema, because when I was a kid, my dad used to show me Italian films, like Fellini mm. and that. 
And what they do a lot in a lot of European, again, very general European cinema is that they focus on people's faces for longer, you know? Yeah. And the narrator will tell you a little story. And they do that as well in American films, but they seem to find these incredibly expressive faces. Yeah. Like I said, everyone in this film is memorable. But for me, particularly the two who have the romance in the bar, <laughs> you know, they keep having a close up on that guy who's recording everything. Yeah. <laughs> it's just hilarious. Yeah, yeah, so funny, quirky. For me as well, it's not necessarily the people as well. It's these, these little random things that happen that mm. we we don't need to know. But then once we've been told them, you you get more of an insight. You know, for example, towards the beginning where she says she likes the sound of a spoon cracking creme brulee or putting yeah, her hands yeah. into a bag of grain. Yeah, and, and it's just and you think, okay, that's what's making her tick, and. Do you know what? When you think about it, it's, it's pro- we've probably all got the similar sort of like things that we like that might not be quite standard. You know, um, you mm. know, people say like the smell of freshly mown grass, or you know, or, and what they do is they bring it onto the screen, and it's just like wow. You know, you you get a little insight, and also as I say, with with regards to sort of randomness, but it's not when we first get. Uh, the scene where she finds the treasure box in the tile. Mm. It starts off, it's the day of the death of Princess Diana, isn't it? Mm. So you think, well, where's this going? Because he says, like, this, this, you know, would lead to the event that would change her life. Mm. It's like, well, okay, Princess Diana, what's what's that going to involve? Where's this story going? But it's got nothing to do with it, really. It's it's got no. Despite <laughs> it happening in Paris, yeah, her, her death, um, that is, as a catalyst, it, it, there's no more. Okay, there's references to Princess dying throughout the the film in, in little bits and pieces, just as an aside, yeah, because that's a contemporary thing that's that's in the news sort of thing. But it's not like she's going off and getting involved in anything to do with the the conspiracy of what you know happened with it or any of that there's no link in any way to that it's a catalyst for something else and it, it you know, could quite, quite well be a different news item that suddenly shocks her and causes her to drop the top of a, a moisturizer bottle and, yeah. and that then um crash into the the, the skirting board so it, it, it is an aside, it's a princess die thing, but it does make you think for a moment, where's this going to lead? Also, and then yeah. it goes off somewhere yeah, else. Yeah, it doesn't, yeah. And yeah. it is vital to the story, you know, but it's, mm. in, in a way it's not emphasized, it's forgotten, it's not emphasized. So she wasn't inspired by Princess Diana in the film, you don't think? No, because it was the just way... literally because she heard the news and yeah. dropped, dropped the lid right by right, Exactly, right. like the narrative is literally is like, this is how the sequence of events progressed and he goes back to the fact that it was a news story about the death of Princess Di mm. that leads to this whole, you know, what what she becomes and what she starts doing. It's like when you go back just a little bit further and it's really heartbreaking is when you find out why she ends up being homeschooled is the fact that her father was a doctor or some sort of yeah. medical man and he used to give her annual checkups, but because he never showed any affection towards her, that was the only sort of physical contact she had with him as a child. Yeah. So her heart would race every time he was there with the stethoscope, and they wrongly assumed that she had some heart defect. Yeah. So they kept her at home. And I, I went back on her and I thought, oh, my God, that is just really, really clever. 
really amazing, you know, and it's just it just explains a bit about her psyche and and where we're going to go in this movie in an interesting and and I think quite unique way. I think another thing is yeah about the film is that it's, it's actually making really serious points, but not in a it never feels like a downer because it's all so the camera works so full of life and all the people are full of life. And that, uh, I mean, it is a rom-com. Rom-com's almost a bit dismissive, you know? Yeah. I think it's a lot more than that. But if you want to class it, it would be a romantic comedy. It's proving that you can make an intelligent one like, you know, like they did with Groundhog Day and stuff like that. There's a lot of sadness there as well when you look at some of these people and their lives and what's been going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then suddenly yeah. this, this character's you've, brought you've in. Got yeah. The, yeah, and you've got, you know, the people not living their lives mm. and her being a capitalist mm. i mean there's her own father where even when she's sat at the dinner table talking to him when she goes to visit and she's she's not actually even listening even engaging with her um he's at he's going through the motions but he's not listening to the fact that she's since the last time he saw her she's you know saying that she got pregnant and took crack and did a bank robbery and all those <laughs> yeah. kind of things because he's, he's not actually listening to the reply. He's going through the motions of life. Yeah, yeah. And some of the rest of them are, are in the same way, going through the motions of, of life. And she's she's a catalyst for, for change on that. But also, she was going through the motions herself. She was going, going from her little apartment, going to her job as a waitress, going back again... She, she wasn't living her life herself because she was so introverted and, and turned in in that way. So she's no different to the rest of them in a way um, until she has a turning point and then spreads that turning point to others. But it is, as Anthony says, it's got some kind of commentary or, or negativity in there with regards to how people can be either for themselves or because of modern life. But it shows how you know you can actually pull yourself out of that in a way certainly doing random acts of kindness can can be one way for people but sometimes it's just letting go of the past and you don't have to go around stealing gnomes to do it (laughs) (laughs) that was a thing do you remember that people used to do in the 1990s yeah yeah, even got onto coronation street didn't it it? that um, something to do with that with gnomes (laughs) i do think it was Funny that funny line in the film where the the air hostess's friend that's been doing that brings it back, and she says, "Oh, yeah, oh, don't worry about it. Any time, I've already I've already got the nickname Snow White now, so the damage is done." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good stuff. There's break, breaking the fourth wall as well is a, is a thing I quite like in films. Yes, happens. And they off. sort of get it right. What were we reviewing? We were reviewing something ages ago. Can't remember what it was. We're saying like breaking the fourth wall is a little bit risky because you, you can take the audience out of the film, but they get it right, don't they? Somehow, don't they? Yeah. yeah, it just suits the style of this movie. Mm. It it doesn't take itself seriously at all. I mean, even the death of her mother is is almost comic. You know, a, yeah. a, a suicide victim lands on a mother and killing a mother, leaping like was it Notre Dame? She's actually at Notre Dame, isn't yeah. she? You know? Yeah, and I think it's it's helped. That not taking them people out of the film completely, because it's kind of melded in. Because the narrator is is narrating it in a way like it's a documentary in a way. Something that is rare as far as breaking the fourth wall is that she's actually in a gentle way that's quite easily missed. She's reacting to what the narrator is saying in certain respects. She's not actually interacting with the narrator like you get in some instances elsewhere in other films, but. 
there's very few people in the film that do break that fourth wall. She does a few times in it. I think the photography booth guy, I think he does it once. But I think mainly it's her. And as you said, Anthony, it doesn't take you out of the film, which it very well could do if it were done. Yeah. Is that the brilliant fantasy elements? Isn't she on a newsreel at one point? That's this a documentary style it. thing. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's like yeah. a document. It's like a documentary within a documentary. That, that's yeah. a. There's a, like a series of t- a TV series that's that's done of this sort of the lives of people, and it's been sort of fifties film stars or singers or politicians or whatever. And the guy who was doing the voiceover is the guy who actually does make those and, and does... It's like the, the son or the nephew of Mitron or Chirac or one of the presidents of France or something ever, but um, mm. he, he, he he reproduced basically what is... Uh, uh, this is you know, it's the equivalent in, in this country of, of being, if they'd done This Is Your Life and the dad, um, Michael Aspel, on screen talking about the, the character's life. Mm. Um it's, it's, the, it's, it's that that level of indigenous culture uh, and iconicness within France, as far as I'm aware, from previously somewhere. Pretty sure mm. I've got that right. So that, you know, again, is, is bringing in the Frenchness. And I think as people like ourselves who are not French and don't, I've certainly never lived in France and my, France and my, my ability to speak French is um, pretty much zero. Uh, there's a lot of bits in this, I think, how I miss because of the fact that I'm watching it subtitled and I'm not looking at the nuances of the things that point to indigenous culture that don't translate out. Still, I love it so much. I imagine how much I'd love it if I, if I was fully aware of French culture and yeah. French language, to be perfectly honest. It's a good way of describing it. This film is very French. That's the only thing. <laughs> it's a very French. Somebody on one review I read, I think, yesterday, said it was like the movie equivalent of being hugged. <laughs> it's just so comforting, this film, to watch. Um, I think Roger Ebert described it as a, a delightful pastry of a movie or something. Oh, pastry, there you go. Yeah. yeah it's like a creme brulee of a movie. Yeah. <laughs> Cracked creme brulee of a movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it's, it's another little just throwaway scene again that's just suddenly came back to me. Near the beginning, I think it's before she was born, and it's telling the story just before she was born, of about uh, is it something that's flapping its wings, but then thirty miles away, a tablecloth magically made two wine glasses dance that nobody saw. Do you remember that yeah, right that's... at the beginning? Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's just this real sort of like fantastical element to it that has nothing to do with the movie whatsoever, but you're instantly that's, drawn uh, in. That's um, I've, I've, I'm sure I must have seen an interview with with Juno for mm. to. I've picked up these things. I don't know how I would know otherwise. Um, apparently, that's something he see. He'd already seen some years earlier. This um, in just in some cafe somewhere. Um, the the glasses dancing because of the wind, basically, and he just stored it in his memory. It's the same as all the film clips of like the, the horse escaping and running alongside the yes. the cycle cyclists yeah. and mm. um, the um, the guy the woman who's the Captain Burnham now is the godmother of rock and roll, you know, um, yeah. from the 50s. And a lot of these things like that that are, are, are done, they're things that Juno has picked up, like, since the 70s, just, you know, either recorded as VHS of things and just collected things uh, along the way or just stored memories of, of stories. 
that he's incorporated into this film as the quirks and as the the things that he's just found quirky and interesting, and he wants to actually um, show off in a way, or mm. at least have the, have the character's experience, same as he's pulled from his own experience. Uh, apparently, the whole thing with pranking the the greengrocer with what she does of, of changing toothpaste for for the um, pal cream and and making you know, swapping his his slippers out for smaller ones and stuff. Mm-hmm. That is that is a, a reaction to a, a fantasy that that Juno had a, um, with regard to somebody who had savaged one of his previous films as a critic, oh. um, and he had this fantasy about what you know what to do with him, and that's as far as his fantasy went. <laughs> you know, it wasn't anything massively malicious. It was it was teasing um, rather than actually you know cut the body up and bury it under a, a, a motorway. It is drawn upon the experiences in that way, and that I think is why it's got the Frenchness to it because of him being French and pulling these items out. He's he's putting himself into this film in a lot of ways, probably more so than he has a, a number of other films previously. Do you reckon he owned a suicidal goldfish? Oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> I think, Bob, I think, I think <laughs> now you mention it, I've I got a vague recollection there was some mention of that. No. Um, <laughs> there's something to do with a, a, a goldfish. No, I think that film does draw upon the personal in that way, as well as draw upon what is French society. It brings the two, melds the two together, and that's why I think it, it brings out that warmth and affection in, in people for the, the, the characters and for the film. Was it a big hit in France? Massive. Yeah. Oh, it was, right, right. It's a 10 million budget, and it grossed 173 million worldwide, I think I read somewhere, 180 million worldwide on a 10 million budget it's a, again it's a bit like um it's a bit like some italian films where they they want to show you italy and they just heighten it a little bit yeah i suppose is it a bit like i don't know it's a bit like us doing four weddings and a funeral or something isn't it yeah no, i don't know nobody, playing up the politeness and the repression and stuff well, like even, yeah and nobody yeah. actually lives in places like that or goes to weddings like well certainly like ordinary people don't go to weddings like that or mm. not on Notting Hill, you know. Nobody, nobody lives in a, a house like that in Notting Hill. You know, it, it, yeah, I see what you mean. It's very exaggerated, but at the same time, it is quite grounded as well because it's the everyday things that are, are discussed, yeah. isn't it? And it's like things you don't generally think about. And it's like, yeah, actually, the sound of creme brulee cracking with a bloody huge spoon actually by the way um, <laughs> um yeah that's quite a pleasing sort of thing and putting your hand in, what was the other one um putting your hands in great skipping stones was one uh skipping, oh yeah and there's the um the the fella in the joseph the the, the one that's recording into his um recorder in the um in the dictaphone yeah mm. um it was you know get on a fantastic actor is dominique pin on it some exactly, most yeah. Virtually all of Gino, Juno's films, to yes. be honest, is he's his go-to guy to get him in everything. He's got underneath the table is is popping bubble wrap, isn't he? Bubble wrap. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Did used to enjoy that, I'll be honest. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> satisfying. Not while podcasting, though. Hopefully, <laughs> <laughs> not for ages, though. No. <laughs> podcasting then. Ah, yeah. oh, very good. And is there um, anything else you want to add to this, Mike? No, just like I said earlier, just the brilliant sort of balancing act of, of always being upbeat and a joy, but making really serious points. And I think it's trying to tell us that there's a lot of magic as well in everyday life. Yes. You know, especially I think it's perfect that it's in a city because it wouldn't wouldn't quite have worked in a small village, you know, because in the city, everybody's anonymous. 
Yeah. And you can get away with all these things. You can plant things in apartments. You know, it's, I think it's saying something as well about how the city, how you can be so anonymous. There can be millions of people, but you can completely fade into the background and you can mm-hmm. play these little tricks on people. But just saying that, you know, these little quirks are happening all the time, you know, yeah. and there's magic to be found everywhere. Stephen, this is obviously one of your favourite movies of all time. It's got to be top ten, hasn't it, for you? Oh, absolutely, yeah. I think it pushes into the top five. I mean, it's oh. joy every time. There's certainly... It brings so many elements in of other great films, like I said before, the the way in which it uses the cityscape like Third Man does, and and then some of the camera angles as well, to be perfectly honest. I mean, it's got a, a real way of shooting, and some of it is restrictions that they had to do because they there was things that they off camera that they were trying to hide like in the cafe they couldn't show too much of what was showing outside the cafe because of the way you know what was going on in the street and things yeah. but so much that they bring in it's got a, the heart of, of a capra film with with the the cinematography of, of something like the third man with, with absolutely that that wes anderson whimsy and and sort of fancy element that is just slightly to the side of reality but not to the level where it's it's people using magic and riding unicorns it's um it it draws you in and and that whole thing about giving you a hug but also i think as anthony says it's also got some elements of giving a bit of a commentary or or a wake-up call or whatever in 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 addressing something a little bit dark not maybe not darker but a little bit um more negative in a way about people's lives it is really a a warm hug with somebody just whispering something in your ear at the same time Uh, and that's the the beauty of it and every time i watch it see something new whether it's in the decor of the flats or the nuances in people's performances because it's fantastically acted by everybody in it the cinematography is absolutely beautiful the colorization although they have enhanced some of the color it 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 works well the the green and and the reds yeah yeah Sorry, I'm colourblind and even I could see that, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, yeah, it just shows it's it's beautiful to look at as well as beautiful to experience. I don't think anybody film. comes away from this feeling depressed. No, There's no reviews I read online of anybody slagging this off at all. Very hard to for me to not look at, at, at Audrey Toto and, and think, yeah, that makes me happy. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> But you get most of the music as well. We haven't talked about. Yeah, the, just to say the lovely piano and the accordion. Yeah, and Tearson, isn't making it? it sound really French. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they got the accordion. The DV <laughs> that I got was a box set that came with the CD of the soundtrack, mm. uh, and it's incredible. Yeah, we forgot about. It. And talking about that, they've also made this into a musical, haven't they? I didn't know that. I mean, yeah. as far as the music goes, it, again, it ties into the Third Man, where it's become iconic as the accordion stuff. It's um, mm. you know. Even yeah. though one of the things, one of the things on the soundtrack is actually Neil Hannon, who's oh, the, um, the man behind, behind the, the Divine Comedy, Divine up comedy. In, from Northern yeah. Ireland. He's very in touch with his, his Gaelic sort of sensibilities. But uh, I didn't know it'd been made into a musical. I'm, mm. I'm, I'm not sure. I assume they probably made it work 
um, because if you've got the sensibility to recognise this as a as a film um, worthy of doing something with, I imagine they'd be able to try and make the, it work as a musical rather than it just being some of the things that you get as musicals on at Christmas on TV, you know. <laughs> Apparently it's quite good. The reviews are quite good of it. I mean, I've, I obviously haven't seen it, but it's one of those films that probably does work. Then again, Stephen, your favourite movie of all time has also been made into a musical, Back to the Future, so... Well, yeah, I suppose there, there is that, yeah. Um, I'm just waiting for them to start making some musicals out of some Ken Loach stuff. Uh, that'd be brilliant. That'd be the most depressing. the musical. The yeah. most <laughs> depressing night of the theatre ever. That'd be brilliant, wouldn't it? Cathy <laughs> Come Home, Kathy musical. Cathy Come Home, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, there was one, one last thing, sorry. Mm. Uh, we were talking about breaking the fourth wall. Um, this is something I didn't notice, but the very last scene when they're on the... Um, well, they're on like a scooter or a motorbike. Yeah. Nino, right? Yeah. Nino breaks the fourth wall as well. And someone was making the point that that means he's now in Emily's world, you know, Ooh, that kind of fantasy world. Yes. He's joined fair. her in that world. Yeah. That's, mm. that's very, yeah, I think that's a very good pick. I hadn't, I don't think I'd, I'd spot it. I knew he broke the fourth wall, but I hadn't interpreted it in that way. And now I feel that absolutely is the right way to do it. I can't believe I haven't spotted that before. Well done for, for you spotting it. Mm. Um, oh, did I mention that I didn't spot it? I, I oh, right, watched sorry. the video. Yeah. <laughs> no, well right. done to that other person. <laughs> yeah. So, but it's, it's you know, talking of the, of the, you know, going from the ending, just going back to the, the beginning. Um, mm. One of the things I just want to um, point out is um, the, the joy I've had from probably, I didn't, probably the first two or three watch, watches, I didn't really cotton on to it, but I did after then, that when it's at the beginning and they're going through the credits, and they've got you know who does the makeup and who does the the sound and all these kind of things and it's got the the child amelie um there for the sound recordist she's got like uh, some she's sideways on with some cherries hooked over her ear and yes. um <laughs> when she's doing the the um makeup she's got, there's a uh, a face drawn on a, a, a hand you know where you've got the thumb as the as your mouth and, yeah. and things and music the the licking your finger and, and ringing the top of a glass and stuff and all of that tying into each of the bit, bits that are going up as credits and um, I hadn't cottoned onto that for the first oh. you know, few watches and then suddenly mm. now every time I watch it I watch it to see which one ties into what, what's going Does up as actually... the credits and it's, 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 it's oh. absolutely beautiful the way that each one, each and every one they've managed to, to get in I even I, think it's also the when they're saying about who does the catering they've got the with a uh, having the 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 raspberries on well, each fingers. finger of a hand popping off quickly it's, it's absolutely beautiful the way that that's again the, not reacting to the narrator but that's you know the interaction between what's going up on screen as the production people behind all of this and the character on screen the wall between the two being being flimsy at least at that point even if it's not broken never noticed that that is a mo- I'm going to watch it again now. It is that sort of movie that you can quite easily turn up, like when you finished it, just think, do you know what? I'm going to put that straight back on again. I watched it, yeah. yeah. I watched it the other day, so, you know, and I was seeing things that I don't recollect seeing before, as Anthony has pointed out. Mm. Go back to it again and again. 20 and, times. And yeah, and still... I, could, I could quite easily watch it again tonight and try not to because I don't, I try not to watch it too much <laughs> because. I don't want to spoil it for myself. It's like you know, you can't have, you can't have ice cream for breakfast every day, can you? Exactly. Um, so it's that kind of thing. Or a pastry. 
So. No pastry in this case, yeah. <laughs> Pan au chocolat. It's, it's, right, well, in conclusion, it's just I think it's just one of those universally... It's a rare beast, a universally loved movie that very few people have got bad things to say about it. I, I hate to use the word perfect because nothing is, is generally perfect, but it's, it's virtually flawless, isn't it, guys, from all aspects of this movie? Yeah, yes. for what it's trying to do, it's just crafted. Yeah. yeah, the perfection is in the crafting, you know. Yeah, and all the camera movements. So it's just, yeah, perfect. Yeah. Perfect casting. Yeah. There we go. Eleven out of ten from Stephen. Generally all round, I think for him. <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's take a short break because the three of us have agreed to get back together, which is marvelous news, and it's going to be my choice next time round. So, see you after this. And now. Preview time. When it comes to entertainment, you can't beat a good film. So let's take a look at what's coming your way. Okay, gentlemen, thank you so much for that. How are we going to top Amelie? I don't know if we can, but what I've deliberately decided to do is to go back to the golden age of Hollywood. We were talking about the golden age of Hollywood in our little discussion about the Oscars at the beginning of the show. And there is one particular actor and a director that is woefully under covered here on the Stinking Paws podcast nine years down the line we haven't done that much Humphrey Bogart believe it or not haven't done that much John Huston we're going back to 1948 and we're going to do the treasure of the Sierra Madre have you seen it yes yes Possibly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I watched it's, loads of Bogart films yeah. at a stupidly young age, like 12 or something. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they all went over my head. Yeah. I remember the African Queen watching that, that Maltese yeah. Falcon. All of them. Possibly seen it, but yeah. not really. It's one of those ones that it sort of gets tucked away because of those movies you've mentioned, Casablanca and all those sort of things. But it is top tier Bogart. It is top tier Houston. Uh, Houston's father's in it, Walter Houston. You know, it's it's famous for the line "We don't need those stinking badges." It's it's that movie. I came to it quite late, so I've only seen it once. So I'm really looking forward to going back to it. So I think this one will be I've quite interesting. It, mm. I think I've seen it twice. Yeah. I think uh, yeah, it must be at least twice because I've seen it once within the last five years or so and I've seen it sometime before then but I think it's one of those that did I actually watch it properly that previous time when I first saw it yeah so I'm looking forward to that Treasure of the Sierra Madre 1948 Mm. guys it's been an absolute pleasure thank you once again for being here early this Sunday morning even earlier actually because the clocks have gone forward (laughs) today yes (laughs) it's my pleasure thank you for having us on here that's good fun thanks a lot Anthony before we go could you just let the guys know about your wonderful podcaster which ones all of them oh, all three yeah <laughs> yeah so film gold uh, about films sort of edging towards the classic stuff a bit uh, glass onion on John Lennon deep dive into John Lennon and the Beatles and then uh, life and life only which more psychology based self development alternative media that kind of thing excellent. available everywhere excellent stuff yeah 
No sponsors, though. <laughs> no, 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 the Joy Club, have they been on the phone? But, you know. <laughs> Gentlemen, thank you so much. See you very soon. Take care. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Take care. The management of this theater suggests that for the greater entertainment of your friends who have not yet seen the picture, you will not divulge to anyone the secret of the ending. Master arms, that infernal jamboree is worse than two cats on a fence. You dudes get lost now, you hear? Good night, ladies. Good night, sir. When you fail down, try positive thinking. That's what I told the man said. Don't wear a frown. Try positive thinking. Laugh at your troubles instead. You've got to look on the bright side. On hope so much depends. With your confidence sinking, positive thinking helps you on the way, my friend. When things look black, try positive thinking. Treat every season as spring. No glancing back, try positive thinking. Trust what tomorrow may bring. This crazy world that we live in will keep on spinning round. But with good Positive thinking, we'll get together and life won't let us down. Shut up, you ugly bitch. Oh, shut up, we enjoy it.